Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us. Hi everyone, my name is Bella Hoogveen and I am the producer of this podcast. And this episode is what happened after we finished recording the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I would recommend you do that first and then come back to this one. It is a highly entertaining conversation between people who know each other well and have shared interests. Enjoy. I think some really interesting stuff happened after we had finished. Like, that's always the way, isn't it? Because you're not like, I don't know, it's so funny how humans work. Because it's like it's been recording the whole way along. And we're like, right, now we're doing it. And now we're not. As we went off formal and I could see everyone kind of becoming more animated, I was like, oh Me my too. God, now we're starting. I know, I was <laughs> wondering, I was time, wondering at the beginning, like, why are you all being so formal? Like, yeah, yeah it, it was weird because it's like we're never formal together at any yeah. other time. So it's like, what's, what's that about? I should have said at the beginning, like, stop being so formal, you guys. This is weird. Yeah. You're me out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. When I went back in summer and found my book on the shelf in the, in the main bookstore in Reykjavik, oh. Icelandic literature, I was like, I have made Icelandic it. Icelandic literature, <laughs> there you are, is when you yeah. stop trying. <laughs> Absolutely. No, completely that <laughs> happened. When I stopped trying, Picky, I noticed when it, it's when I'd left and I'd had to like let go of everything. Yeah. I left, but then I thought, okay, I was married to a man, to a house and to the land. And the, the house I had to let go, the man I had to let go, but the land I didn't. And so what is going to be my new relationship with this land that's not mediated through his family? And so I've made this commitment to kind of try and go whenever I can which is most summers and I go with my tent and my thumb just to show up in that place and see what happens and I have to say it's when I left that I felt the strongest sense of belonging because I don't need anything from it anymore it just uh I show up and I have the language in me now and that opens a lot of doors people can tell when I open my mouth that I've obviously put in a lot of time there and have connections there and then that in itself is is an abundant process so I always wind up getting a lift I always end up with somewhere to stay I always end up you know having amazing amazing times to the extent that I find it really hard to journal when I go to my Iceland trips because so much is happening it doesn't stop happening because it's light all the time (laughs) and so if I if I wrote a journal I just would have to give up on sleep so I just have to now I've stopped writing notes as well you know so it's like you just got to roll around in it until it's so much a part of you that a book could come out just by pressing a piece of paper on your on which your is asking the question and becoming yeah. the conduit for the for the story I'm always asking the question like how can I be an artist without making any without producing anything because I think it is a way of being in the world as well you know it's like you're still like doing all of that perceiving and processing and enacting in the world and then there's this annoying bit where you've always got to produce something out of it, yes. <laughs> which forces you back into some some different way of being. Yeah, but it's a bit like cleaning the windows, isn't it? It's just, I love that bit when you talk about, I think you're headed to, the, to our valley with Natalia and 
Salvar, and now you realize that I have actually cleaned the windows because they knew how much you would love to look out and just you know absorb everything. <laughs> and I just I was talking to my partner the other day, and she's but how would you how would you describe it? Then how would you like you know define like you know what is she really doing with the book? I was like, but actually you know what I'll just extend the thought, and it's just that's basically what she does. She is literally cleaning the windows for all of us for the readers, absolutely, and it's just <laughs> offering a wonderful, wonderful glimpse into that heartbreak, into love, into those ghosts, into the landscape, yes. into Iceland, into the West Fjord. It's just this beautiful roller coaster thing. But that sort of yeah, that analogy of cleaning the windows, I think, is the best thing that an artist can do. Just clean the windows and let me absorb and sit in silence and in awe. Better still, say, "Hey, stop standing by the window. Come outside." That's even better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, the the funny thing is, and I'm just going back to Sarah when you were saying just now about leaving and moved away from the place, and you don't have that connection so much with the people, but your connection is with the land. So we grew up in Tauranga, and there's um, a range of, of mountains. It's called the Kaimai Ranges. And when I would go home to Mum you hit the ranges and then you see the main mountain, Maunganui. And when I would hit the top of the ranges and see that, I would go, oh, I'm home. But now mum and dad are no longer around and we don't have the homestead anymore. I don't get that mm. anymore. And for me, it was, okay, so now where is mm -hmm. home? You know, so even in a localised sense, I'm searching for belonging in terms of even though I'm indigenous I'm still searching for that belonging where is it and I'm finding actually my belonging is with my family but then when I went up to the Hokianga for the first time and sat on the marae and these people who are from my my father's side that we we say whakapapa to our family extends to I'd never felt home in a place like that before so it is that, and Neria talked about indigeneity through the language. You know, so it is, it's so subjective or, you know. And so changing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find like, so it's not that I'm not connected to any people. I'm just not so connected to his family anymore. But through not being connected to his family, my connections have opened up to much more diversely. And it means that I can have all these different encounters with people who then become a sort of part of this you know beautiful branching network of relationships um because before you know the, the extended family was so central to the, your socialization that it was like yeah. everything was through them and that's quite difficult when the relationship then breaks down with my partner it's like you lose like 60 people yes. at the same time that was really hard. And that's what made me feel like, oh, my God, have I lost this place then? Or have I lost my feeling of ease in this place? And it took a few it took a few years for that transition to happen. And I think it maybe fully happened this year after actually reading to my ex-husband and having this book and, you know, realizing that I'd sort of brought the place back to itself through my eyes. But I feel a full permission to be there again in my own way where I'm not sort of feeling slightly uncomfortable that I'm in someone else's place. Like I've, I've made it my place too. And I feel like I have the right to be there. Yeah. But it, it is a lot to do with those other relationships I now have there, those other friends. Mm. If it was just, if there was no one I knew there, 
I think I would find it quite sad to look yeah. out of the window and see that valley and those mountains. Yeah, and I'm just thinking even sometimes like the whole space of academia and sometimes when we overthink things, right? And you know, the whole belongingness and indigeneity, we're so in that kind of defining where actually when I were, the place I grew up isn't where we say where I, my tribal lands, but they'll call me, that's home as far as they're concerned. The, the tribal people of that area, they say, no, this is your home. You're our family. Mm. You know, so it's almost like we overcomplicated and, and kind of want to pull ourselves away where it's like, get out of the way. You're whanau, your family. You're one of us, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think there's that. Actually, it's up to the community sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, I, I increasingly feel that it is like this and it sort of has to be like this, but home is anywhere that you feel really welcome as yourself. And you can feel at home pretty pretty quickly if that is the case. And you can feel absolutely not at home, even in a place that you may be born, if you're not just getting that positive feedback of like, yes, you're welcome here. And we see yeah. we see your gifts and yeah. How have you felt about that, Erdem, from since you moved to Glasgow, because I know you really love it, don't you? I absolutely love it. I did have connections to Scotland, though, before I moved to Glasgow. So, I mean, it is a special place, but I just, yeah, you said something really beautiful there, Sarah. It can sometimes happen super quickly. You always think like, you know, belonging takes a long, long time. It's an artist's journey. It's a you know, heavy burden to carry. Da, da, da. I remember being in Edinburgh when I was 18, and it was my first time abroad, really. I was young, a teacher enthusiast, and it was August, the fringe was on, and I was like, oh my God, these are my people, this is my <laughs> place. So I need to be there. It's funny how it doesn't take much in the first place, just a smile, that landscape, you know, some, I don't know, even the architecture sometimes, the entire sort of texture of a studio of a place can be really inviting. And yeah, so that's how it started. And then I kept coming back. I'm more of a Glasgow person now, no, I absolutely love it and feel absolutely at home then, you know, thanks to all the wonderful people that I met. But yeah, that bit takes time. But that initial feeling of, oh, strangely, I feel like I belong here is mysterious. It's this sort of sometimes like, you know, uncanny thing, but it's beautiful when it happens. But I, I got a similar feeling when I was reading your book as well. I'm not sure if that was your feeling back then, but just the way that you looked at that glass jar and having a look at the eggs and then you three just, you know, having a conversation about it. I was like, oh, maybe so this is, this was the moment for Sarah as well when she went, oh, maybe I do belong here. I can at least. I'm not sure if, if it's true, but yeah, sometimes all it takes is just a tiny gesture or one tiny moment, really. Yeah, the, the eggs and the kinds of conversations we had about existence and the, and those small details like them having cleaned the windows for me. And just to know that someone had noticed how interested you are in the world and, and help like facilitate that interest. It was such a beautiful experience. And I remember when I left after that first trip, I was actually crying. You know, it felt like I'd fallen in love with something. And I knew that I would have to be back very, very quickly. And interestingly, the eggs, they have this, sharp point the guillemot eggs they have this sharp point and a, a previous theory of, of why they have adapted this structure is to allow them to have a tight turning circle 
because they nest well they don't actually make nests they just lay the eggs straight onto a cliff a very steep cliff and so the eggs would would tumble off if they didn't have some way to keep coming back and so I remember um, there's a lovely Icelandic tradition when you go and stay in a home that they have a guest book and so when you're leaving you write a little message or you just write your name and when you stayed there so there's this lovely like legacy of all the people that passed through a house just there in this one book and I drew one of these eggs as if to sort of suggest that the certainty of my own imminent return because I knew it just wouldn't be long because it was the most right anything had felt for a very long time and within three weeks I was back wow I I love Mm -hmm. that point where where you like really early on when they asked you would you come back? And you just immediately said yes. You only do that when you feel safe, when you feel there's something greater than yourself, that there's a a level of faith and trust and something greater than you have any power. So you just kind of give up and go, I'm going to go with this because I'm going (laughs) to, otherwise I'm going to end up here anyway. So let's just do this now. And this is going to be a ride you know <laughs> it's like okay take me on this ride you know yeah. and we call yeah. that being in wānanga so I know I use wānanga for different things but this is when you just absolutely are living in wānanga you're being a conduit or you're allowing to be be on the river mm-hmm. yeah. and is that a state that is like a, a kind of desirable state or something to aim towards it's hard to stay there <laughs> like, yeah because our, our it's like that <clears throat> pace you know the pace of our world that Nidia that you were talking about that's these different paces and I was thinking when you were saying that we talk about time as linear but there's different modes of time and we talk about you know father time being linear and then mother time where the kaupapa or the issue determines the flow of what is done and, and that's been in wānanga where they have time to pause because that's what you do, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember doing that with in the university, we'll be rushing around and then someone would ask a direction and I would stay there and I would talk to them and I would show them away and, you know, say who, where you're from. And, and my mate is standing there going, come on, Piki. And I'd just say, no, <clears throat> Manaki first. Manaki first, you know, hospitality <laughs> first, you know, being caring. And she just rolled her eyes at me. She goes, Well, now we have to run. I went, That's all right. We'll be okay. <laughs> we get there when we get there. <laughs> you know, so, um, but that's it, slowing down. But, you know, it's hard to stay in that pace when everything else around you is at a rapid pace. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I, found it really hard to kind of what we say say ngawari stay in that kind of easy flow mm-hmm. um yeah when you know we all know what universities are like they're just <laughs> and I I find you know so that is when I'm in my best I like myself I like that person in that state but I'm finding that I I kind of had a sense this would happen but like the book getting it into the world here it's much more of this father time kind of thing. I'm just busy all the time, kind of creating opportunities. And it's a bit sort of bish bash bosh, whereas that fluid <laughs> thing and the way that events, even the way that events came about in Iceland was completely different. You know, it was like I just had to plant a seed 
that things could happen really impulsively, like spontaneously. And I wouldn't necessarily know the venue, but somebody would help me and go, well, you could actually, I've got this loft. You could have it in this loft and let's make a poster. And then suddenly, you know, because it's Iceland and it's a small village, you just put it on Facebook and, you know, at least at least like 20 people are going to just come. Yeah. Um, whereas here it's got to be like several months in advance and involve all this like emailing back and yeah. forth. So I think my... I would love there to be a bit more of that. I mean, do you call it mother time then, the other one? or is well, it? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard the term mother time. That was just a term I'd read. And I went, well, that makes sense because it's kind of, you know, father time. We talk about father time a lot, um, the character of father time. And so they had used mother time as this one where it was more about letting things flow. Mm-hmm, yeah. And and we talk about being in Māori time or Pacific time down there. <laughs> and that's you're never on time <laughs> yeah because we'll get there when we need to get there yeah. and if we're to start it well the co-papa or the thing will start if you're waiting for me well then you need to be waiting for me you know yeah. everything happens for a reason and sometimes people just need to wait because something else needs to happen in that space before we start the <laughs> co-papa yeah. Yeah. we don't know what is that something else sometimes it's just a lesson that people need to be patient <laughs> you know <laughs> But I think you're right that it's a lot to do, like your capacity to enter into that state is really like influenced highly by the state of the people around you. And that's why I find it so hard to achieve here. And equally, by extension, I find it then very hard to achieve that same sense of belonging, because it's like I can come back from Iceland with all of this learning and knowing what that mode of being feels like in my body. But if everyone else around me is rushing around and it's, it, mm. it's, it's a collective thing, it's a collective and kind yeah. of subtle thing. Yeah. In my thesis, I talked about um, paddling the walker and, but only one side of the walker was being paddled. So it ended up being, a, you know, just going around in circles. But what I started to see was it was manic. So it was causing this vortex and actually, part of my role was actually to put a great big paddle in the water and try and find some land to just not to change it just to stop it and slow it down but uh, yeah it is because otherwise it was just people had no choice because they were being sucked in it became a vacuum that was sucking people into this way of being in this manic rather than people coming into it with any sort of intention and wanting to be in it Mm-hmm. They were just involuntarily sucked into it. What would the other side be? So if they're paddling on one side, is the walker like a, a kind of canoe? Canoe. So, and I was talking about the treaty relationship between Tangata Whenua, Indigenous Māori, and the Crown or the government and people who have had access and that our way of being was being over-paddled <laughs> by the colonial Mm-hmm. ways of being and doing and knowing mm-hmm. and to try and keep the balance was near impossible because we were falling into that side mm-hmm. so it was about how do we one put a stop and bring some on the other side to get some to to regain that balance mm-hmm. so that we can actually move forward instead of caught going around and around in a mm-hmm. circle and that's me sitting at the back of a conference or a symposium watching these people deliver and that's all I saw yeah (laughs) oh my gosh this is why we're kind of what we call rangirua of two minds 
But do you know what? By extension, because both of us have come up with these metaphors that are about you know, either something that's not human made or something that's about a, a particular way of really being in the land and in the water. Yeah. But it, it, the, the colonial way of being is such that if it if it extracts you from being in the land and puts you behind in, inside four walls and in these windows, yeah. people don't even know what it takes to paddle a canoe and what mm -hmm. that even means. They don't know how that feels in their body. So it's like it's a self exaggerating problem isn't it because yeah, the metaphors yeah. don't even land yes talking about being in the body i i i went to my first ever academy conference not so long ago which was on auto theory bella had a taste of it because i paid we played i had to play chalaparta and chalaparta is an instrument that can only be played in in dialogue with somebody else so i had to have a bring my dialogue with me and bella to the to to the conference but three days of of auto theory conference where everybody uh, and it was a lot they were all women and it was um they were they all talked about feminism but they were perpetuating the language and they were all here mm -hmm. the whole three days was about people being in their heads and being exactly like men would have doing academia the same way as men would have done so you're not going to change the patriarchal nature of academia. I thought, what on earth am I doing here? So I just stood in the middle and started singing. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know what anyone is going to get out of this, but this is the way I want to go and this is the way I want to stay. And then the person asking the questions because it was a panel afterwards and she said okay so what's your relationship with quotations and i was like still i'm trying to stay in my body and yeah. trying to find the balance between the two types of pedaling you know yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, but i i don't want to get away from from this but there was a poet that was part of the panel and she said oh, I'm, I'm sorry but you're carrying them in your body and i thought yes i'm going to use that <laughs> you, you, you know, she said that I carried because the voice, the material might might be new, but the voice is all very old. So she was saying, "Oh, you're all of your quotations are all over, all over your body." And I thought, "Yes, I like that, but it it is, it's very difficult. I need to read your stuff, Picky, because it's very difficult to kind of find the balance between the two ways of knowing or meaning making or understanding." Yeah, and that use of even quotations, it's like how yes. we use quotations in academia that um, it's almost, I don't know, I always got the sense that you use quotations to amplify your voice. Yeah. Where for mm -hmm. me, I use quotations to honour the person who said it. I want that to shine. Yeah. And me yeah. to as this is the seed that, and I'm just part of the legacy, but without the seed, yeah. I could never have blossomed, you know. Yes, so yes. it was, and they were always, we call them whakatauki and whakatauaki, and they were always metaphorical, like ko au te awa, ko te awa, ko I am the, the river and the river is me. And, you know, so it's not those quotes that you see in, or citations. <laughs> Sometimes it's not even that the thing uh, that's that's speaking or has spoken even re relates back to you at all. Like it has its own thing to say in its own language. You know, it's like it doesn't have to 
So I remember I had this, uh, you know, the chapter, the seal wife, the quartz pebbles. So that chapter, and this is a bit woo woo, but it's true. Like I was looking for the quartz pebbles that, that Biabni had sent me in my studio one time. And I, and I found them in a box and I just sat at my desk holding them in my hand, one in each hand. And I wasn't, I was going to write something, but I, I guess I wanted to just look at the quartz pebbles, but suddenly it was like, they just said, okay, write this and I put them down and I wrote that whole chapter in a while and I didn't ever edit it very much at all it's pretty much how it came out and so I as far as I'm concerned those quartz pebbles gave me that chapter and I wanted to put them in my acknowledgments and I was told by my first supervisor that I couldn't because it's not scholarly and I'm like well there's a problem there there's a problem there because that's what happened and so what I did instead was um well, I, I draw on Haraway a lot and because she she believes yeah. in acknowledging, you know, everything. And, and that was helpful because then I could say, well, look, this is what's currently going on. We need to get with the program. But also I kind of um, kept like stealthily within the parameters. But then in my Viva, I gave two quartz pebbles to my examiner mm, at the end really and told him that story. Oh. And said, go and sit in a dark room and bang these together and tell me you're not in wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for this beautiful conversation. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration Through Languages and Arts, a podcast series to make you think. More information about work can be found on the website of the University of Glasgow, www.gla.ac.uk. Thank you very much.